On this episode, I'm in the room with Lori Ferguson discussing the hard work of writing. Welcome to In The Room, episode number 33. I'm Ryan Hughley, and if you're listening for the first time, I'm the founding and lead pastor of Redemption Bible Church just outside Chicago. I'd love to stay connected online, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at Ryan Hughley. Uh, we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, and you can always find additional content on my blog at ryanhughley.com. That's H-U-G-U-L-E-Y. In the Room is your opportunity to eavesdrop on my conversations with interesting people of varied backgrounds, perspectives, and vocations. So every week I talk with pastors, professors, authors, and artists about their stories, their crafts, and how they do what they do. On this episode, I'm in the room with Lori Ferguson. Lori is an avid blogger at Sayable.net and a regular contributor to the Gospel Coalition and Christianity Today. In our conversation, we're discussing her writing process, why she limits the number of people she follows on Twitter, and how she goes about writing on topics that she knows are sensitive for many. So now get comfortable and come on in the room for my conversation with Lori Ferguson. All right, Lori, thanks so much for being on In the Room. I really appreciate it. I uh, always yeah. like to start learning a little bit more uh, about people. So let's just start at the very beginning. And uh, and where were you born? I was born in North Wales, Pennsylvania, which is right outside Philadelphia. Okay. And and did you grow up in a Christian home? Were your parents believers? Um, I grew up in a, I would say, nominal at this point. Looking back, it was a nominal Christian home. Okay. Uh, we went to a lot of different churches growing up. Um, okay. So just didn't have an understanding of the gospel until I'd, until I was an adult. Okay. So you did not come to faith then, you would say, until you were an adult? No. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. When did that happen? What was that experience like? Um, it was a long experience. It wasn't just a, a day transition. But um, when I was about 20, my younger brother was killed in a car accident. Oh, and okay. I, so some people invited us to uh, a church and invited me to a church and just kind of got plugged in there. Didn't really understand the gospel for a really long time. Okay. Um, just was there. I was on staff at that church for four years. And at the end of four years, it was 2009. I was, I think I was 29 at the time and just realized I'd, I'm not saved. I don't understand the gospel. Four years on staff at a church. And, you, and at the end, you would say, I, w- I was not saved. Yeah, yeah. Wow. There was a strong emphasis on holiness. Uh-huh. Um, um, they love the Lord yeah. there. Um, they love they love discipleship. They love the Lord. Um, I just didn't have ears to hear. Yeah. And so, um, so about then, I just started to ask questions about why do we tithe and why do we have membership yeah. and why do we do this? And those questions uh, eventually brought me to the natural end of like, well, who is God and does he exist? And, and yeah. all of those things. And uh, ultimately just came to the conclusion that God didn't exist. And if he existed, he wasn't good. And if he was good, he wasn't good to me. And I wasn't interested in serving that kind of God. Um, And then it was a very sort of quick transition from that point. Uh, The Lord moved me from New York state to Texas, Uh uh, where I got plugged in at the village church. And and actually at a Jen Wilkin Bible study, she was teaching on Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And uh, she just unwrapped just a God who is wholly apart from us and uh-huh. his actions were wholly independent of our actions. And, um, and the veil was torn. And, um, and from there it was just a, probably a six month transition time of wow. me just kind of healing those or the Lord healing those, those broken sort of theological, yeah. um, parts of me that had kept me from seeing the gospel yeah. before. So. so how long ago was that then? How long have you been at 
you've been there in Texas for how long? Five years. Five years. Wow. Yeah, not very long. Okay. Not very long. And so I had written down to ask you why you moved to Dallas, and uh, and That's so why. that was why. Yeah, I actually moved there to go to the village. I Did heard you really? a sermon. Yeah, I heard a sermon that Matt had preached called "Preaching the Gospel to the D Church." Uh-huh. I listened to it sixteen times in a week, and I said, "I don't know what this guy is saying, but yeah. I've never heard it before." And so. Matt, um, Matt was my, the very first guest told me that. in the yeah. room. And, uh, you know, you're a good preacher when people listen to your sermon and they move to your church from across the country. Like, like God's doing something unique through you at that point. Yeah. yeah. And so. I actually didn't know who he was from Adam. I just, really? like, and I didn't really care honestly, yeah. at that point. I was so just desperate for just a glimpse of something more than what I yeah. understood God to be. Yeah. And so, yeah, I had no idea that he was famous or the yeah. church is growing or any of those things. Yeah. Just, was He's like, a I'm gift, just... man. I love him so much. He's been such yeah. a, such a good friend from a distance and then, and then close as well. So, a... so, so now you write and you do, you design and you do all kinds of stuff. So you get down to Dallas, you come to faith, you take six months and God kind of heals you up a little bit. And then now you write for like every Christian blog on the face of the earth. So <laughs> How, how exactly had you been writing for a long time? What was sort of your, how'd you get into writing? Yeah. So when I was 20 and my brother was killed, we had just moved from Philadelphia to upstate New York, okay. um, far away from anything I'd ever known. And so this was in the early days of blogging when people were doing like live journal blogging. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, there's strangers across the country reading your, that's right. Yeah. Your words. Like it's kind of creepy, but yeah. Uh, I just started a, a little blog just to kind of process. I'm not a verbal processor at all. Uh-huh. So it was just kind of my way to process that season of life. My parents were going through a pretty nasty divorce at that point too. Okay. Um, it's just a really difficult season. And so just started kind of, I say now I was exercising those writing muscles, um, that when the Lord saved me, they were kind of, they were ready. They were strong yeah. muscles that were ready to, to just start writing about the Lord and, yeah. and exercising um, in a different direction that wasn't quite so narcissistic. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, so yeah, that's where I started. Yeah. And and so when the Lord saved me in 2010, I just, I mean, I couldn't help but write yeah. about his glory. I couldn't help yeah. but write about his goodness. And, um, and then that just kind of brought me to where I am today. And yeah. that's, that's, I think that's awesome. So do you, do you think that, I mean, writing played a really, I mean, it's, it seems like it's been a pretty, necessary friend to you, yeah. you know, especially since you were 20. Um, do you think that all people should write to some extent, whether it be n- not necessarily, I mean, not all people should blog. Good Lord. We could use like less than half of what we have right now. Yeah. We could, we could, so not everybody needs to do that, but, but maybe journaling or even if it's just a personal endeavor, do you think there's intrinsic value in writing? Yeah, I think that, um, let me say this. I think there's intrinsic value in processing. Okay. And I think far too few people actually take the time to process. So yeah, that's a good way to say um, it. So if you think about, this is kind of going off a little bit, but if you think yeah. about Paul, when he, whenever he was talking to people about their sin, he didn't just run right to repentance. He said, ought you not rather mourn? Yeah. And so I think that whole idea of time and process yeah. and um, just giving, sitting deep in something yeah. is just kind of lost in our culture. Yeah. And so... Uh, so whether people write or whether they, um, take long walks or whatever sort of discipline helps them process, I think more people should do that. Um, I think we need fewer pulpits, blogs as pulpits. Yeah, that's good. um, And more blogs as processors. Yeah. I like that. 
there is something of, I mean, I think for me and everybody's different, but for me, writing, especially journaling does help me when I'm stuck on something that I'm having a hard time. I am a verbal processor. So like I, I, I do a fair amount of that. Um, but I know when I'm like really stuck on something, just, I think we have a very ADD culture in general. There is something really helpful about writing kind of helps tie you to yeah. the page and and it can be a very useful tool for even if someone's never tried it before it can be really helpful to untangle yeah my thoughts at least for yeah. me it's been helpful in that so tell me about your writing process because you do you uh, I'm everybody's different and I feel like you could ask every writer this question and learn something because it's all different so are you like are you hyper disciplined do you have set times is it when inspiration strikes what's your process like um, my process is to walk in process. Okay. So, um, I'm all, I'm constantly absorbing what's uh-huh. happening around me, um, and looking at what's happening around me. I think people and circumstances, it's easy to just kind of pass through them. Uh-huh. Um, and so for me, the process is pay attention, pay yep. attention to what God's doing here, pay attention to what's happening here. Um, and so whether that's in response to what's happening in the world at large or whether that's happening, that's in response to what's happening in my home or whether that's in response to just something that I'm thinking about as I'm reading scripture. So, so writing is really, um, it's, it's always responsive for okay. me um, yeah. in, in to whatever the Lord happens to be kind of putting in my path yeah. in that way. And because of that, it ends up looking very different. Like I'll, I'll write essays sometimes and then uh-huh. I'll write prayers sometimes and I'll write artic- news articles sometimes. And so no matter, I think that we need to exercise our arm in, in more disciplines than that. And so yeah. I don't have a, I'm not a, I'm disciplined in the sense that I write every day, uh-huh. uh, but I don't have a set time uh-huh. and I don't have a set sort of method. I don't uh-huh. function well in that sort of atmosphere. What, what do you so. think are the main things that keep people in our culture from practicing? I, I, I feel like what you're describing is practicing being present mm-hmm. in, in the moment and what's happening in your heart, in your mind, in your life, in the world around you. What do you think are some of the main things that get in the way of our ability to do that? I think there's, what is the, the, the acronym uh, FOMO, like fear of missing out. It's yes, kind of yeah. the millennial, like yeah. everyone's just afraid that whatever I'm sitting in right now, I'm missing out on something better that's happening. Um, and that could be something bigger or just different. Um, so I think that's one thing. I think another thing is just that we constantly have tools at our fingertips that are, um, distracting us from actually processing things. They're, they're easy. It's easy. It's just as easy to self-medicate quickly uh, and not have to let yourself kind of struggle through things and and process them. So if that's the way that you, you're just kind of constantly processing do you ever get stuck as a writer like where you feel like i don't know what to write about you so you do experience that oh absolutely and how do you get unstuck um i think some people will say there's no such thing as writer's block i think Anne lamott says there's no such thing as writer's block put your butt in your chair and write yeah um for me i have to be okay with that um i have to be okay with writer's block i have to be okay with um why does this muscle feel um, difficult right now to exercise. Uh-huh. And I find that the longer I kind of sit in that okayness, the, yep. the words eventually do come. I think if I force it, uh, I usually am not very happy with what I, what I produce at that yeah. point. Are there any things that you find sort of inherently, uh, inspirational? Like, like, do you listen to music when you write? Sometimes. Yeah. What, I'm not, what kind of music do you listen to when you do? 
Um, I listen to a lot of instrumental. I have a, a playlist on my Spotify called the best studying soundtrack ever. Excellent. So yeah. I listen to that. Um, I listen to a lot of like um, scripture when uh-huh. I'm, when I'm writing. So I'll listen to like loud harp as a good band, Robbie C. They've just uh-huh. kind of written s- songs based on scripture yeah. and that just kind of puts them into my, puts me in a worshipful mind, yeah. but it also helps me to be absorbing scripture yeah. as I'm, as I'm writing so that I'm not writing in sort of an angsty, yeah. um, angry, yeah. even if I'm writing something that makes me passionate or makes me, um, excitable about yeah. something. I still want to remember to temper it. Yeah. I saw on Twitter the other day, I think you'd mentioned something about writing the last of the Mohican soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had this, I had a season where I was, I was listening to a lot of like epic soundtracks when I was writing sermons and I kept having people poke their head in, head in like, are you, is everything okay? <laughs> hey, could you turn that down? It's scaring everyone. You come so, out to the pulpit with like blue face. Paint yeah, exactly. Like just like I was preaching just warrior angry too yeah. much. So I've tried to, I've tried to, to tone that down a little bit. What are some authors you mentioned Anne Lamott, but what are some authors that, that really, I mean, whether it be books or bloggers or even people on Twitter, what are, what are some writers that inspire you? Um, we'll start with Twitter. Uh, Scotty Ward Smith. Yeah. He's uh, great. He's just, probably my favorite person to follow on Twitter right yeah. now. Just, um, so full of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daniel Emery Price, I think his name is, okay. is, is another great Twitter person for me to follow. Uh-huh. Um, I, I'm always paring my followers down because I yeah. find too much noise is just not helpful for me. So yeah. those are, those are two that I really appreciate. Uh, bloggers. I'm, I'm a very bad blogger in the sense I don't read a lot of blogs, yeah, I don't but either. Uh, Jared Wilson has been uh-huh. a staple for me from the, from the beginning till now. Uh, Tony Woodleaf, okay. another one of my favorites. Um, so those are yeah two bloggers I really appreciate. Books. Um, I'm loving Zach S. Wine's Sensing Jesus, and I've just been kind of sitting in that for a long time now, okay. almost a year probably. It's wow. kind of ridiculous. Yeah. Just absorbing some of the stuff that he's saying. Yeah. Um, I love Eugene Peterson. His yep. long obedience in the same direction is one of my favorite. Yeah. Um, I love a lot of John Piper's shorter works. I mean, I love like Desiring God and things like yep. that, but I love his, some of his shorter works, like don't waste your life. It just yep. reminds me, Hey, life is a vapor. Get it done. Yep. Stop, stop piddling away at things. Yep. Um, and then I love, I, love the, the, I love the introduction to all of Piper's books. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've even heard him say like the rest of it is basically just him elaborating on the introduction. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, yeah, but I agree. I've read half of like every Piper book. Yeah. <laughs> That's my confession. <laughs> oh, there are a couple you should read all the way Yeah, through. I know. There's a couple I got to push through a little bit. That's good. So you've not written any books, correct? Oh man, that's a heated question. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You, is uh, it something you're thinking about? Um, it is something that a lot of people would like me to think about. <laughs> what What's your reluctance to writing a book? Sorry to put you on the spot on a podcast. No, you're fine. Um, I think there are a lot of hesitations. I think the main hesitation is um, really, I've only been walking with the Lord deeply for about five years. I'm very aware of that. And I'm very aware of um, James 3 talks about yeah. just being aware of, of teaching and handling the word. And so I'm super hyper aware of the content that is available in evangelicalism right yeah. now and just the lack of gospel centrality in it. Um, and also the lack of, I think we have books that are either very gospel centered or we have books that are beautiful, but we don't have a combination of the two. A lot of those, 
Um, and yeah. I think there are some authors who are doing really well. Jared Wilson does excellent at that. Yeah. Zach S. Wine is doing great at that. Um, so that's one of my major hesitations is just yeah. I want to proclaim the gospel, but in a beautiful way. Um, so that's, that's probably my main hesitation. Yeah. There are some other peripheral hesitations. I have a, an agent who's probably the most patient man alive. He's had me for three years and wow. just patiently checks in with me. Yeah. So there are a couple pieces kind of in the works okay. and, and we'll see what that's happens. That's a pretty admirable this. reason though, to be hesitant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I haven't written a book for lack of opportunity. So yeah. yours is far more admirable than that. Okay. So I think that's really great that you're at. And, and I think to, to have it be, you know, textually rooted in, I just got, I preached that James three text yeah. four or five weeks ago and that's a terrifying text. And if it doesn't scare you, you're not paying attention. So yeah. I think that's yeah. good. I want to pay attention. I don't yeah. want to be the, the ones who are like always seeking knowledge and never yeah. to into yeah. knowledge of the truth. And I want to be someone who's not letting that stuff terminate on me, yeah. but at the same time, just being aware of, um, just the, the weight and the good weight yeah. that there is, but the weight that there is on, yeah. on writing and teaching. So I think I read on your blog, you have, you have comments turned off on your blog. I do. Yeah. Okay. So tell me a little bit about how, I mean, you must have, I don't know how much you get criticism about the stuff that you write right now, but, um, how have you, when you have, when you do experience, how do you deal with criticism in a way that it doesn't crush you, that you try to learn from critics, but just tell me a little bit about what that process has been like for you. Yeah. I think there was a time period where, um, criticism, meant a lot more to me. Um, and I think part of that was because I was not pressed into people who were biblically encouraging to me. Okay. And so I was, I was making the voice voices of critics louder than the voices of yeah. um, the encouraging people. So one of the things that's been good for me is to have a team of people who are very clearly able to say, this is your gift. This is what you're good at. Um, when you're writing like this, this is when you're, um, you're doing your best work in this kind of way. And then just to, to let the critics be the critics and yeah. um, to, to listen to them as much as I'm able to, mm-hmm. but to, to not own that or walk in it. I'm kind of a little bit of a tender hearted sort of sensitive person. Yeah. Um, typical kind of artist. Yep. Um, so take that stuff personal. Well, I've taken that stuff very personally before mm-hmm. and I just found it didn't bear good fruit for me. Yeah. It also didn't bear good fruit for me to, um, this is actually the real reason I turned comments off unsayable. It didn't bear good fruit for me to have that sort of empty, trite um, compliments or flattery yeah. just kind of yeah. in my ear all the time. It just is not helpful. Yeah. I would rather have godly men and women who know me well, who know my struggles well, um, press on my struggles and affirm my gifts uh, than to just have people off in the internet world sort of weighing in on things. And I'm always reminded of that every time I publish on another platform like Christianity Today or Gospel Coalition and the comments come in and I think, man, I don't, my soul is not equipped and I don't think any human soul is equipped to deal with that kind of um, heartless in the sense that it's, they don't know my heart. I don't know their heart criticism, if that makes sense. Yeah. I like the way you talk about having a team and community around you that does have voice into your life. What do you you think are some 
even if you don't write, everybody needs that. Yeah. What What do you think are some characteristics or keys that people should look for in the like what What type of people make for good critic is just has an in, in sort of it's a derogatory term, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and so let's use the word like feedback or. Uh, but what are some things that you've been that you look for in those people that you have surrounded your, yourself with? Isn't there a saying that's like work in your strengths and staff your weaknesses? Yes, definitely. So I, so I look for that. Okay. Um, so I've got a pastor from our church who I walk, um, who we meet very, we meet often to talk about just what's on my schedule, what's on my plate, um, what kind of opportunities are coming my way. He is kind of veto power. Like, yes, you can write for this place. No, you can't speak here, that sort of thing. And he and I are very similar. We okay. think very similarly. We have the same kind of rhythms. We're the same sort of sensitive writer types. Yeah. Um, so he's been really helpful for me in that. But also on the team is um, one of my good friends who's just, she's actually uh, sitting across from me right now. But Okay. That's she, not um, awkward at all. Yeah. She's, yeah. she's just reading. <laughs> okay. Um, but she's she really presses. I kind of have rose-colored glasses and I'm yeah. an idealist and she's very re- realistic, very down to earth. And she presses, she sees my weaknesses and she presses against them. We're very different in that way. Yeah. And then I've got, um, women who are ahead of me who are just more biblically sound, Jen Wilkin, who yeah. I can kind of press into her at times. And then just elders and godly men who, um, who keep watch over my soul. So they're kind of each addressing different parts and different aspects of the whole of me. They don't yeah. have to, to be, everything to me they just need to be so do you have people read stuff before you publish it always or not always not always um it depends upon uh the content it depends Mm -hmm. upon the place where it's being published so so for instance if i'm writing something i just wrote an article recently about or did an interview about women and discipleship and Uh women on staff at churches and man i just was like man this is this doesn't just reflect on me and my thoughts it reflects on my church it uh-huh. reflects on my pastors it reflects True. on how we do ministry so yeah i'm, I'm going to pass that in front of a couple of eyes of some of my pastors yeah. and um just leaders and and people like that uh, a lot of the stuff unsayable i think i used to write a little bit more controversial uh-huh. things uh not doing that quite so much anymore just didn't found it didn't bear good fruit for me okay um and so a lot of that is just posted pretty normally but yeah it depends upon the place where i'm publishing i don't know about you but i hate long ads in the middle of a good podcast i'm enjoying so i'm going to keep this short i am unashamedly committed to getting this podcast into as many ears as possible and for that i need your help itunes is the primary place i drive the podcast and your reviews help increase our visibility there so do me a favor if you're enjoying this episode will you take 60 seconds log on to itunes and leave a short review that's it Every review makes a huge impact. I promised I'd keep this short, so thanks for your support. And now back to the conversation. You mentioned something about women in ministry and all of that, and I just saw the Gospel Coalition posted that uh, yeah. a video of it was Gloria Furman and yep. uh, Jen Wilkin. Yeah. And I'm curious on that same, since I have you here and you're thoughtful, uh, what do you think about the state of women's ministry in the whole thing? <laughs> you did not tell me we were going to talk no, about I didn't. This. I didn't tell you about that. I'm sorry. <laughs> and we, we'll take this out if you would like to, but, but just between you and I and whoever listens to this, uh, what are, what are your thoughts on like, what are some key, let me, let me phrase it. What are some keys to 
women's ministry being done well. And I'll just be real honest. This is a a real personal thing for me. My wife has really struggled Mm -hmm. with, she got, she came to faith later in life, similar to you. Um, and, um, I was like already in ministry when she came to faith and then we met, started dating and got married and all of that. So she's always, her like first step into church was in many ways kind of behind the curtain of ministry. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so she's found a lot of women's stuff like super cheesy, um, and lacking in depth and largely just like makes her want to throw up. So mm-hmm. what, what do you think are some keys to really do? I mean, you are a woman and you minister to women, you write to everyone, but, but what do you think are some, well, let's just pose it for you. What are you finding when you're ministering to women to be the most effective and the things that you, that are really key for you? I think, uh, I think it's, it's kind of a known fact that women tend to be more relational. Uh-huh. Um, and so, um, so we're going to do relationships well, but I think another thing that women tend to be is they tend to be a little bit more sensitive. And so we kind of respond more emotionally to things. And so a lot, when I see men discipling men, I just see longevity happening. I see uh-huh. a long sufferingness happening with a lot of men. And I think in women, that's one area where we, we do struggle. We struggle to just be faithful with the same person yeah. um, in discipleship. And so that's one area I think that we're struggling in. I think another area within a complementarian context is that um, we very much understand our distinctiveness uh-huh. from, from men, um, but we don't often understand our equality. So we would say in complementarian, you're equal but distinct. Uh-huh. Uh, we feel we feel the distinct. We, yeah. don't, we don't necessarily feel the equality. So I think one of the things that helps with that is to have men, um, godly men, uh, not just say, Hey, our door is open to you, but to also be able to say, Hey, my door is open to you. Like Uh you can come to me and, and talk about these things and, um, and wrestle through these things with me. And I want to wrestle through these things with you. I don't want to be, I want, I love complementarian theology and I love being able to be submitted to my, my leaders. Um, so I'm not, I don't want to go out and kind of be on the outskirts and the fringe and kind of rebellious, but I also want to be able to, to really do it well. And I can't do it well if I'm just with women. So I need godly men. Um, and I need women who, who walk in a long suffering way. Yeah, that's good. You do write about, I mean, I know you've written on complementarianism, Mm -hmm. uh, on, on a couple of different blogs and places and probably on your own as well. And so you do write about some subjects or have more in the past that are sensitive. We'll yeah. just call it that. So what do you, I'm, I'm curious about what you think are some keys to doing that well with an eye toward winning your readers. Yeah. Um, because you can be right in the wrong way. And I think we've got plenty of that, especially mm-hmm. in uh, the tribe that we're probably both a part of and sort of okay. the young reformed. Um, there's a, l- a lot of people with, I would say, what I would believe to be right doctrine, but um, are just not fun <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and seem to uh, not have tasted of the grace that they talk so much about. Mm-hmm. And so when you're writing about a sensitive subject like complementarianism or gender, um, mm-hmm. how, are there some things that you have in mind that you, that you're like, I, here's how I'm trying to be mindful of winning my audience. Yeah. Um, I think about Paul in the book of Acts when he spoke to the Pharisees, he used the law uh-huh. to kind of 
teach them. And when he spoke to the philosophers, he used poetry. And so I think about, um, and I want to, I want to speak to that audience. And so if I'm writing on the gospel coalition, for instance, my voice might be a little bit different than I'm writing on Christianity today or a place like that. So I definitely want to keep the audience in mind. Um, I think another thing that's helpful is just to remember that the Lord uh, is not surprised by the trajectory that he takes people on to Uh come to full knowledge of him. And even if we're, even if we struggle with the amount of time it takes someone, like there are some bloggers out there where I'm just like, Oh, I wish you wouldn't talk. Um, you've got some time, you need some time before you get to a a place where you can do this. But the Lord isn't surprised by that. He's not surprised by their voice. He's not surprised by the, the way their voice is used or the time it's taking them. And so I shouldn't be surprised. Um, and I shouldn't, try to be writing in such a way to get people from A to B quickly. Yeah, that's good. Um, I want to help them process slowly. And yeah. so um, I think, too, just understanding that um, there have been a lot of distortions of good theology. There's been a lot of distortions in it within the church, and we need to understand that a lot of a lot of people are coming from the distorted view. And so when you use words that like submission or uh-huh. headship, things yeah. like that, that are just kind of polarizing words, yeah. uh, you can alienate an audience really quickly. Totally. And so, so I don't want to, it's not that I want to avoid using those words then, but I want to make sure that I'm, I'm defining them in a way that is true and that, that gives glory to God totally. within that truth yeah. and not just that it doesn't just terminate on the definition. So I think keeping those things in mind is helpful for me. Yeah. Um, I think it also helps that I, I don't feel like I need to convince anyone of anything. Yeah. I think that when we love something, uh, we make it beautiful. So yeah. for instance, I love the local church and I probably talk more about loving the local church than probably anything else I write about or think about. And I think part of the reason I, I love the local church is because I love the local church. Like yeah. I, I act like an action verb, the local church. Yeah. Um, and I think the more that we love good theology, the more we make it beautiful to other people. Yeah. So it's that, not, it's not like a strategy in my head. It's right. just the overflow of my heart. There's a lot of wisdom in the time. The time thing's hard for me. Uh, cause I feel like, especially when, when someone comes to a place where they embrace the doctrines of grace, reformed theology, I feel like you should be locked in a cage for like five years minimum. (laughs) And uh, because typically (laughs) that guy doesn't come out like super helpful in the beginning. I did not. I should have been locked in a cage. And I think that there's just, there's a lot of grace and wisdom and patience and in, in being more gracious and patient with, with people in doing that. I think that's a great point. And I'll say, I'll add this too. I think that one of the things that we've kind of lost in the complementarian context is that we have a lot of men who come to like the doctrines of grace or whatever. And they're just, like you said, they're like caged animals. They're just trying to get it out. And yet that's, so that's the voice we hear more elevated. Uh And, but if we would listen to more women, um, we would hear a softer side of things. It's more like, it's just a more feminine side of things. And I think, that brings balance in the same way that like in a in a healthy marriage, it's a partnership. You don't just have one person saying everything and another person never saying anything. And so I think just within complementarian culture, um, we need both of those voices. We need the softness and the femininity. We need that sensitivity. Um, we need 
people who understand the love of God yeah. and can express the love of God yeah. in gentle ways. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk about social media for a second. Okay. Um, so what social media platforms do you, you blog and you're on Twitter. I know you're on Instagram. Uh, are those kind of the three primary mediums that you use? Um, I also use Facebook. Um, it's not my most active place, but uh-huh. yeah. So are you, do you feel like, I think I know the answer to this. Are, are you pretty intentional about building a personal platform? No, absolutely not. Yeah. So it's more relational for you than anything else, isn't it? Or, or like what, what do you think about? <laughs> you just write whatever's on your, are you like just that awesome and, and like, <laughs> and, and kind. And like, I, I just, I tend to be more strategic and intentional about the things that I do. Yeah. Um, so for you, what, what motivates your use of social media? Um, I think there are two, probably two main things. Um, one is, um, Proverbs says that a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before Kings. Mm -hmm. So I think all these questions about how do you build your platform Mm -hmm. and how do you gain an audience and do all those things. And I think, man, if we're exercising the gift that the Lord gave us in faithfulness, Uh we're just being faithful every single day. Um, the Lord brings us before Kings and the Lord grows your platform or whatever. I hate that word, but like you threw grow. up a little bit. People can't see the video, but yeah. I saw you gag a little bit when you yeah. said platform. It's, yeah. it's really, it's a really hard word. <laughs> I know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think exercising faithfulness. And so uh-huh. what is the Lord saying today? Um, and how would the, how would the Lord respond to, uh, people on Twitter and things like that. And so, um, I think another thing that I do is just encourage the little ones. I think about Jesus saying like, bring the little ones to me. Uh-huh. And so I think a lot on social media, the temptation is to kind of, um, seek attention from the big guys. Um, and, and I just think, man, I want to encourage the little ones. And yeah. so uh, I'm, I don't always do it perfectly, but, um, but that's, that's kind of another thing on my mind when I'm doing it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that, if that answers. No, no it totally does. Do you, do you think about, um, I mean, all of these different social media uh, mediums, they they sort of are meant to be used in various ways. Mm-hmm. Are are you mindful of that? Like, do you use Twitter differently than you use? I mean, in in more than just how many words you can put out, but are you, are you trying to tell stories differently via Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter in your blog? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would say for uh, Facebook feels more relational to me. Yeah, me so. too. Um, just more, I mean, I want people to, to see my heart in a way there mm-hmm. in discussion, things like that. I'm not going to entertain arguments and things like that there. Uh, Twitter is more, I think of it more like, um, just, I don't, I'm going to use the word pulpit, but I don't, yeah. it's just kind of a place where you can kind of yep. punchy theology yeah. sort of things. Um, Instagram has been, I know a lot of people, Instagram gets a bad rap because people are like, oh, you put, you know, you're like the best parts yeah. of your life there. Here's the thing. I love my life. Yeah. I, I don't love it unto death, but like, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm the demographic where I am. I'm 34 years old. I'm single. Um, I think a lot of women in my position, uh, they really hate their lives. Yep. And, uh, I want to, I want to communicate that I love my life, that I love the portion that the Lord's given me. Um, it's a beautiful portion. And so I'm okay if, 
my Instagram feed it looks beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it, I want I want it to, like I said, I want it to look like I love my life because I do, because yeah. I want other people to love their lives. And so that would be Instagram. Sayable, I, I still, no matter how many readers I get, I still just always envision myself sort of like sitting in the corner of a bedroom, just kind of scribbling away. So yeah. it very, it still feels very personal to me. Um, very small to mm-hmm. me. Uh, there's always been, you know, two to three people in mind when I'm writing. It's not, it doesn't feel like, it doesn't feel like a platform at all. It doesn't yeah. feel, I sometimes struggle with the, the reality that a lot of people are reading it because yeah. I think, man, I'm like spilling my guts yeah. to thousands of people. And yeah. that's, that's scary. Yeah. In some ways, I so. think on the Instagram front too, that you mentioned so much has to do, I've talked about this on a few podcasts with people, but so much has to do with motivation mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I've heard that criticism too of like, and I've leveled the criticism, I, I'm sure as well, that we're only posting the best parts of our life. I've got three, you know, little kids and I post pictures of them being cute. And, but I've seen, I've seen parents that, in, in the name of, of the opposite of that will post pictures of their kids, like screaming, throwing a fit. I have a problem. Like I, I have a problem with that because I I feel like that's very shaming. At some point your kid, if Instagram still exists when my kid's 16, I don't want them to be like, what the heck? Why did you, why did you do that? So I think the motivation behind like, why am I posting this picture? Am I trying to put forth that something is better than it really is? Mm -hmm. I think, I think we need more heart work there than we do in like, not, you know, like putting pictures up of all the crappy parts of our lives. Like who wants to look at that for one thing? So (laughs) anyways, I think like people can get pretty up in their head about that. So tell me on the Twitter front, I think this is interesting. I think you, I think you have something on your blog about this, but you mentioned it earlier. You're pretty limiting in the number of people that you follow, correct? Mm -hmm. On Twitter. And tell me a little bit about why I know some people I had a, Interviewed someone a couple weeks ago. Their whole strategy for gaining more Twitter followers is following people. So how come you don't do that? I think that goes back to the verse, uh, man's gift makes room for him and brings him before kings. I can only do what I can do. Uh I can't do more than what I can do. Um, So are you pretty committed to being able to genuinely interact and and sort of have some element of online community with the people that you follow? um, I'm only going to follow you if I'm learning from you. Uh Uh-huh. Or if we're engaged in okay. um, in in some sort of relationship, yeah. so community or like the broader blog world, um, and that I catch a lot of flack for that. But I just I don't have the bandwidth. Yeah, I don't have the energy, and I don't want to lie to people. And um, you know, you could follow people and then mute them. And yeah. I just think I think weird. that sends a message that yeah. like it sends a message that numbers are more important to me than people are. Yeah. Um, and you know, four or five, 6,000 people can't be really yeah. important to me. They no. can't. No. Um, but a, a couple hundred can be. Yeah. I've been back and forth. I mean, I've, I've tried to, I had a, a while about, I don't know, it was probably three months ago where I was starting to follow everybody back that followed me. Mm-hmm. And I just found after like two weeks, I just hated Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because I had so many things, and I know you can build lists, and I'm just no, too lazy so for that. Uh, and and I just I really so I went through and I unfollowed a bunch of people, yeah. largely because I do I want to be encouraged. I, I try to resp- if someone at replies, I I like that dialogue even if I don't follow yeah. them. So I try to be intentional about that. But following too many people just ruined. 
Twitter for me. I hated it for like two months as a result of that. So it was nice to read your thoughts on that because I felt like I wasn't, you know, the only one that was overwhelmed by all of that. Yeah. So when you think about, so you've been blogging for a long time. Mm -hmm. So what were you blogging on for like Zanga or what what were you on (laughs) when you first started? Um, I was on Live Journal for a couple of years. That's old school. Yeah, super old school. Uh, awesome. I never moved to Zanga. I think I had a Zanga so I could comment on people's yeah. Zangas, but yeah. Um, then was on Blogger for a really yep. long time uh, and then migrated about four years ago to WordPress. And okay. I know a lot of people are like, WordPress yeah. stinks now. You yeah. need to move on to the next one. But honestly, like to me, managing that is so much work for me yeah. that I don't, I can't do more than I can do. Yeah. So I know my limitations. I know what I can do. I know what my bandwidth is. And migrating again is just not, yeah. Yeah. It's not high on my priority list. So you've been blogging for a really long time and you even mentioned a few minutes ago that you're not maybe writing as controversially as you once did. Mm-hmm. So I wonder when you reflect on the years that you've been blogging now, is there ever time you look back on and there's some mistakes you made early on or some really conscious adjustments that you've made both to blogging and to, you know, your use of social media in general? Like what, what are some lessons that you feel like you've learned? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, like I said earlier, I, because I still sort of see myself as the person sitting in the corner of her bedroom sort of Mm -hmm. scribbling away on a laptop. Um, I've struggled a lot with just the, the audience and the growth of the audience and the amount of people who are reading. And so, um, because I still kind of see myself that way, I have, I've rolled out things prematurely. Um, I've talked about, um, I've talked about things that maybe shouldn't have been talked about quite so publicly, um, or maybe to, maybe they would have been okay to be talked about to a hundred people, but not to several thousand people. Yeah. It's just not helpful. Yeah. Um, I've, I've struggled with theology in some ways. Um, and I think there's, there's definite power to working out your salvation in a, in a way that people can see it. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that I'm, I've had to just understand, Hey, your mouthpiece isn't just a mouthpiece about your heart. It's actually, you know, reflecting the God of the universe. And so you want to be careful with that. So I think because sayable especially tends to be super personal. Yeah. Um, I've just had to learn, hey, that's not, you don't get to roll things out as soon yeah. as you're thinking about them. Or, um, or even if there's a plan in place, you don't get to roll things out and talk about it. I was engaged um, last year and uh, talked about it too prematurely. Because uh, the, the engagement ended, and and then I just kind of had to deal with the fallout of um, thousands of people being like, Are you, yeah. "Did you did you get married?" And, yeah, that's all kinds of awkward. Yeah, and and it actually it was an opportunity to preach the gospel to them and to talk about the sufficiency of Christ and to mm-hmm. talk about how um, how I'm great, the Lord is good, and I'm not. I don't worry about it, but but it definitely was just a lesson in um, just holding back, exercising patience, remembering, uh, the, the mantle, not just being, um, careless with it. Yeah. I I know there's probably not, there's no, I know there's not any hard and fast answer to this question, so it's not super helpful for you. Uh, but I, I wonder about, the extent to which you think that theological issues should be processed and worked out publicly. Cause I think about like Rob Bell is an, a kind of an easy example 
one of the things I think that people were so are so drawn to in Rob Bell is that he asks questions publicly. Mm. I struggle with that as a as a I don't struggle with asking questions. I struggle pastorally without with not pushing people back to God's word, which I think provides us with answers. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, my response is always like, I'm, I'm super pro questions. I just also think that as pastors, one of our responsibilities is to provide some amount of, of answer to people. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, you know, you're, I know you're not a pastor, but you write, you have a growing large audience that listens to your voice. To what extent do you think people in our position, ministry leaders, should process theologically. Does that make sense? I don't know if yeah. you have any clear thought around that. Um, I take my cue from the father of the demoniac. I believe, help my unbelief. Okay, and that's so, good, yeah. Um, so I think we can state what we believe, uh-huh. but we can also say, man, there's so much more. Yeah. I know there's so much more. And so whether you're just a baby Christian or whether you're a seasoned believer, um, there's more. Yeah. To learn, yeah. and uh, I think anytime we think we've got the corner on the market on any sort of theology or doctrine, yeah. that we know all there is to know about God, or all there is to know about sin or uh, redemption or any of those things, then that's when we're kind of in a dangerous spot. Yeah. And so, I love that the the man said, "I believe," but then he ended it with, "Help my unbelief." Right. So yeah. he didn't say, "Help my unbelief." I believe he didn't yeah. end it on the statement in that sense. It's true, we want to we want to exercise belief. We want to walk in what, in truth yeah. in what the Word of God says. But we also want to be able to say, "Man, there's just places that I I'm still wrestling with this in." So for me, um, doubt and depression and anxiety has just been the besetting struggle of my life. Yeah. And I've just found such comfort in being able to say, "Man, I believe that God is good. I believe He's finishing when He starts. I believe He's faithful. I believe He's sovereign. All those things." And yet, God, help me in that unbelief. Yeah. Help me in that struggle. And to say that publicly, uh, it really frees people up to, to struggle well. And so yeah. one thing we say a lot in our church is it's okay to not be okay, yeah. but it's not okay to stay that way. That's right. And so it's the same thing. It's okay to not be okay, mm-hmm. but it's not okay to stay that yeah. way. So That's you want to be on a process of sanctification. And, and blogging is, is just as, it's probably the most sanctifying work of my life. It's, Interesting. It's, is blogging and yeah. writing and yeah. um, processing that online and being held accountable for yeah. it. Well, I think that writing is kind of this very romantic, especially <laughs> vocation, but <clears throat> it's really hard to make a living. Are, so are you a, are you f- like, do you write full time? Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I'm in seminary. Okay. And I write full time and then speak um, yeah. several awesome. times. Yeah. So there's a lot of people, I mean, I think there's probably a number of people that would be listening that, that maybe have that sort of like, I'd like to do that type of feeling. What advice would you give to someone who is thinking about really taking a crack at like making a living out of writing? The first thing I would tell them to do is to listen to John Piper's sermon, Pilgrim Worship, uh, because in it, he talks about how we are not of this world and, um, we're all about making a lot of money and success and all of those things. Yeah. But, but we're not, we're pilgrims. Yeah. Psalm 84 says, uh, blessed is the man whose heart is set on pilgrimage. And so um, I say that because I think that there's a lot of, like we romanticize things, like you said, like mm-hmm. writing and things like that. Um, it's really hard to make a living 
and things like that. It's yeah. just it's just a difficult. It's uh, it takes a lot of emotional energy. It takes a lot of um, business savvy sort of stuff that I don't have. Yeah. Um, that you really just have to kind of trust the Lord for for manna every yeah. day, and um, and He's faithful and He's good in that. But it's it's not it's not it's not a glorious work. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not, I think it seems glorious. You know, I get a lot of people who will write me and say, you know, how did you get to be where where you are with Mm -hmm. writing? And I'm like, man, 15 years of slogging through difficult things and 15 years of writing every day and 15 years of letting the Lord, um, wreck shop on my heart and 15 years of, you know, so it's not, there's no like quick whatever. So, so I would just, Make sure that that if you're asking that question, you're prepared to <coughs> pay that pre- price. Yeah, yeah, you're prepared to pay the price. You're prepared to say, um, "This is the cross I'm going to carry, and I'm going to carry it well." And yeah. you're prepared to very, in a very real way, you're prepared to pay the price of not being wealthy. Because yeah. even even bestsellers, um, a, a books just don't make yeah tons of money, right? And so. Well, I'm really glad that you've slogged away at it. And I know that many people would say the same thing. We'll, uh, in the show notes for this, we'll link up to your blog and Twitter. I know you're not going to follow any of those people back, but, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll at least link it up so that they can, they can benefit from your, I won't follow them back either. So you're not alone in that. Okay. But um, I really thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, keep on writing. Don't, don't, don't stop because we, we need it. And then you should really think about writing a book. I'll just throw that last thing there at the end. Thanks, Ryan. All right. Thanks for being on. Well, that's it for this episode, but don't forget there's lots of ways that you can stay connected with me. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Ryan Hughley. You can stay up to date on upcoming episodes by liking our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ITR podcast. And you can also find more content and show notes on my blog at ryanhughley.com. We'll be back next week with episode number 34 and my conversation with Burke Parsons. He's the co-pastor of St. Andrew's Chapel with R.C. Sproul and the editor of Table Talk magazine. We're discussing how to love theology without hating people. Until then, it's an honor to learn with you. I love you and thanks for listening.